2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. David and Mebosheth. David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called to him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there still no one left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you to the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants to Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. You may have gathered. My name's Arthur Chapman, and it's, I was here, I think it was around about March last year, and I... Um, a focus then on uh, a lot of the work I do in prisons, in the prison ministry. I can't believe it's nearly 12 months since we were here. I'm currently involved in, uh, in prisons in Thorncross and in Forest Bank, and I've got a course coming up in style. But I'm not uh, really going to be talking about prison ministry at all today. Uh, but if there is anybody here who's interested in that particular ministry, please have a word with me afterwards. I've been allowed to give one little more notice, though. There's a guy called Peter Gladwin who was uh, badly burnt as a baby when he was about 12 months old and, and uh, had to have... Oh, he's quite deformed from... Well, not deformed, but he, he, you know, he's, he's still got evidence of that. Um, he's speaking in Thorncross next Sunday morning and we're having a, like an outreach event next Saturday evening at Lynn Baptist Church, where I worship. And we've also got a singer called Katie Ruth Staniek, and she actually placed third in a national uh, gospel singing uh, contest in 
2011. So if you're free, it starts at about 7.15. It is free, and there'll be refreshments as well, and you'll be very welcome. So uh, I think we'll put that notice up on the, the notice board later. <coughs> yeah, um, today I want us to, to think about two covenants of kindness. I want to thank Derek and Lee, especially this morning, for that uh, reading with those uh, names to pronounce, especially Mephibosheth. I'm going to have a few problems with that myself today, but uh, thank, well done, Lee. Well done, Derek. And that particular reading from 2 Samuel chapter 9 describes how that covenant was actually fulfilled. And there are many covenants mentioned in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Um, Noah and the rainbow, Abraham to be a father of nations, Israel and the Ten Commandments. I just want to just kind of recap uh, the background to that covenant that we heard about there. Though. And we need to go back into 1 Samuel, chapter 20. Jonathan and David were very good friends. Jonathan's father, Saul, um, had lost his anointing because he disobeyed God. And it was obvious that David was the man who was going to succeed him. Jonathan was torn between the fact that Saul was his father, David was his friend. And Saul wanted to bump David off, basically. And Jonathan helped David to escape. And just picking up in chapter 20 uh, and verses four, uh, verse 14. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do, never, do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. This is Jonathan speaking not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. So the covenant was made. Jonathan um, agreed to help David escape, which he did. Saul um, still wanted to, to, to kill David. He pursued him. And on two occasions, David had the opportunity actually to kill Saul, as you probably know from that story, but um, didn't, didn't kill him. Saul pursued him but never caught him. And then there's a big battle between uh, Saul's army, Israel, and the, and the Philistines. And three sons of Saul were killed in that battle, Saul himself was gravely injured and fell on his own sword, so he died. David took over the house of Judah. Um, another son of Saul, the last of the sons, Isbithosheth, becomes king of Israel. But he himself is killed, and then uh, Israel accepts David as the king. So David's ruling, ruling over all of Israel now. And he goes on to win many battles. He takes Jerusalem. He brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And then we come to this point here now in, in chapter 9 of, um, of, of 2 Samuel, where all is quiet now. And he's, it's almost as if he's lying back thinking, wow, that's, that's all gone well. And then he remembers, or maybe the Holy Spirit just prompts him, that he's made this covenant of kindness to, to Jonathan. So he summons a servant of Saul, Ziba, and he says, is there anyone of Saul's household still alive? 
Yes, yes, says Ziba. Mephibosheth. He's crippled, and that it refers back to chapter 4 of 2 Samuel, how he was crippled was that uh, his nurse, his carer, was fleeing, and she dropped him, obviously quite badly. He was badly injured, and he was crippled for life. He lives in Lodabar. Lodabar. He's a dry desert place. It's off the beaten track. It's Jonathan's son. You know, he's a rightful heir to the throne. But he's now living in the wilderness, in Lodabar, in a desert dry place. He should have been the king. He should have been the next king. Uh, when Saul was, was killed and when Jonathan was killed. He was the rightful king. And you know, we can see in Mephibosheth something of you and I. We're all crippled. We're crippled by sin. Some more than others. But nevertheless, we're all crippled. We're not able to walk in our own strength. Not able to come to God in our own strength in this life. We're in a dry desert place, crippled by sin. That's where we find ourselves. And we too were heirs to the throne, but because of Adam, we're cut off on the outside looking in, in a desert, dry place. But there's a covenant. There's a covenant of kindness. Ziba continues, yes, there is someone. It's Mephibosheth, a cripple, living in Lodabar. So David sends for him to be brought to the palace in Jerusalem. Now, you know, he wouldn't just send one or two men down to get him. There'd be an entourage. There'd be soldiers fully armed. There'd be a big procession going down from Jerusalem to Lodabar to bring Mephibosheth. What would Mephibosheth have thought when he heard that knock? Who can this be? Nobody ever comes down to Lodabar. Nobody comes to this desert place. Nobody comes to these places of dryness except God. How would he have felt when they told him that King David, King David wanted him to come to, to Jerusalem. David wants to see him. This could be death. This could be death. It's the usual practice at this time for a king to eliminate any rivals to the throne. And as I said earlier, Mephibosheth was the rightful heir to the throne. He'd be gripped with fear when they tell him the king wants to see you. Talk about a dry desert place. So he arrives in Jerusalem and he's crippled, so he's carried. He's carried into, into the house of David. And he even asked David why he should notice a dead dog like him. 
Then God tells him through David, there's a place at my table for you. And it's not just for the powerful, it's not for the mighty, but it's for you. It's not for the good or the prosperous, but God in his providence has reserved a place for each one of us at his table. And it's a covenant of kindness. None of us deserve it. We don't deserve it. Not in our own strength, because we're all crippled by sin. But it takes God, uh, kindness and the love of the Holy Spirit to pick up cripples like you and me and carry us to the king's table. And he says, just as David said to Mephibosheth, every day of your life from this day forward, you will eat at my table. He excludes no one. He's prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He will supply all we need. He has a place at the table for you. He has a place, the table set, and a place for you and me. And it's by the gracious act of kindness that he invites us to that table to sit and to eat. You know, in the time that the Israelites were wandering through the desert, there were many things that angered God about their behavior. They moaned and complained about everything. There was idolatry. And for sure there'd be all kinds of sin. There were hundreds of thousands of people there. And it's human nature to sin. But the thing that angered God most of all, it's in Psalm 78, verse 19. Well, 17 to 19. But they continued to sin against him rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? Can God spread a table in the desert? It's the very nature of God that he has a table spread for us. And he invites us to come to the banquet. But they question. They question whether God could do that. You know, the mother of sin is unbelief. Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes of the blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness this is the second covenant I want you just to kind of try and picture here the prophet Isaiah he's writing his prophecy here but just imagine him looking into heaven and he's hearing a conversation between the Father and the Son in heaven. And this is a revelation that's really hit home to me. And I grasp onto it and hold onto it. And the fullness of this revelation, I really hope that it hits home to you today. Because it's the truth. It's the truth that sets us free. The Father's speaking to the Son and he says, 
I've made many covenants with my people over, years, over the years, but they keep breaking them. They can't keep them. It's impossible for them. I give them ten simple commandments to keep. And they don't. They break them. I say to them, if, if you keep them, I'll be your God. I will go before you. I'll provide for you. I'll watch over you. Just keep my commandments. But they can't. Because sin, sin has caused us not to keep the righteous commandments of God. They can't and we can't. It's impossible. Father continues, so son, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to earth and be born in a virgin. I want you to live a life that's so sold out for me that you won't do anything in your own strength. And this is why we see in John's Gospel especially, we so often hear Jesus say words like, I don't say anything that I haven't first heard my Father say to me. Nothing in his own strength. Not my will, but the will of the Father. When baptized by John and he rises from the water, the voice of God is heard saying, This is my Son. With him I am well pleased. He's pleased because he's come to earth from heaven. He's pleased because he's done nothing in his own strength. Pleased because he's obedient unto the Father's will, even, even to death on the cross. And that verse in Isaiah 42, 6, I've called you in righteousness. And he says, I will take hold of your hand. I will take hold of your hand, the Father says to the Son. The Father says people want to do things against you, but understand this, they'll have to come through me first. They just can't take you out. Remember that, case, that time when they wanted to throw him over the cliff, but they couldn't. Why? Because the hand of the Father was firmly grasping him, the hand of the Son. I'll walk with you. I'll guide you. I'll hold your hand. He says, you are going to become the covenant and I will make a covenant with you because I can trust you. And the process will be this. I will hold your hand. I will keep you. You don't need to worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear because I am with you. Now listen, son, there's more. Now you might not like this, but trust me. You're going to the cross. And there I will give you as a covenant to the people. As a light to the Gentiles. You know who the Gentiles are, don't you? That's you and me. We've been given Jesus as a light and as a covenant. I'm going to give you in the sense that you're going to die on the cross. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you to be their covenant. Not only are we making a covenant, but you will become the covenant, the new covenant. You are the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. You'll be cruelly whipped, you'll be flogged and flayed and mocked and spat upon. You'll go to the cross, you'll die and they'll bury you. And then, this is where you're going to have to trust me, son, on that third day. My hand which held you 
maybe turned aside for just a short, short time, will reach down into that cavern of, cavern of darkness and raise you to life. I will make you a covenant. So the son says, I agree. I agree to your terms. I will go. But we need to know what the other side of the agreement is. The son said, I'll go. I'll do what you've asked me, Father. What does the Father have to do in return? Because a covenant is an agreement between two parties. You can't just have one set of commands. That would be dictatorship. That wouldn't be a covenant. Both parties must agree to the other's terms. The son has said, I'll go. I'll do what you ask. What's the other side? Well, we have to go to John's chapter here. And uh, in John 17, that wonderful prayer of Jesus, where first of all, he prays for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for us, all believers. We find the other side of the agreement. You know, in this priestly prayer, many, and many other places in the New Testament, this new covenant is mentioned. We, ask, we see now what the Father, what Jesus asks of the Father in return. He says, I'll do what you ask of me, I'll trust you completely, because you'll be holding my hand, but this is what I want of you. This is your side of the covenant. And in verse 24 of John 17, it says this, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Well, I can imagine the Father letting out a big gasp and saying, What? What? You want those sinners? to be allowed into the presence of the Holy God? You want those cripples to come into heaven and sit on the throne with you? You want them to sit at the king's table? Yes, said Jesus. That's what I want from you, for your part of the covenant. I want anyone who believes in me, whosoever believes in him, to have the promise that they can be with me where I am. That's the other side of the covenant. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it amazing? I'm seated with him in the heavenly places. And it's not because I'm good. Not because I do good works or because I'm perfect. It's because the Father honours his side of that covenant, honours his side of the deal made with the Son. That anyone, anyone who believes in him believes on Jesus for their salvation, receives him into their lives as 24 by 7 access to God. I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am. I want them to see my glory. I want you to hold their hand as you held mine. To never leave them or forsake them. I want you to provide for them as you did for me. So it doesn't matter, folks, where you go in the world what you do. It's not dependent upon circumstances. You know, he covers me with his righteousness even though I'm still lame. You know, if we just lift that tablecloth and look down there, I'm still crippled. 
that won't be sorted this side of glory. But the thing that makes me good and righteous is him. And it's only him. So friends, my message to you this morning is this. It doesn't matter how good you become or will become or how much energy you put into all your works. Jesus has already done all that needs to be done. One of the three greatest words in the New Testament. It is what is it? It is finished. Greatest words in the New Testament. It is finished. There's nothing that can be added or taken away. It's all done. It's finished. The covenant has been signed, sealed and delivered through the blood of the Lamb. It's a completed deal. It's a done deal. It is finished. The blood's been taken up into heaven and nothing can be taken away from it. There's no moth that can eat it. There's no rust that can corrode it. There's no thief that can steal it. It's forever settled in all eternity. So I ask myself, what's my part? What's your part? Jesus has been given to me as a covenant. He's been given to you as a covenant. What is our part? Well, friends, it's simple. Just so simple. It's just to believe. There's nothing I can do that will make God love me any more. But the great news is there's nothing I can do that will make him love me any less. It's true. It's the truth that sets you free. And it's real. Many of us are always striving, always seeking to do more, to be better, to do something greater. But really, all we need to do is just to hold on to that scripture that tells us we're already complete in him. We're complete in him. Everything I, I have need of is in Jesus Christ. And he lives in me. He lives in me. You ask him, you ask me how I know he lives? Well, he lives within my heart. Every born again believer has a place at the table. And you know what? It's an eat as much as you can banquet. You'll never come to the end of your food. The moment you look up from your plate, it's topped up again. There's always more. More blessings, more promises, more love, more grace, more kindness. More, more, more. Just lavished. Lavished upon us. More than we can ever need or consume. Is there anyone here? Anyone to whom I can show kindness? Anyone in prison who needs to be set free? Anyone on the streets who needs comfort? Anyone who is hungry? Anyone who is lost? Anyone trapped in addictions? Anyone in the depths of depression? Is there anyone to whom I can show kindness? Jesus says, come to me. Come and sit at my table. There's a place for you. It says reserved and it's got your name on it. Yeah, for each one of you. There's a place for you, a place for me. And it's because of that covenant of kindness made between the Father and his Son.
Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your awesome message to us this morning. Thank you that it is indeed the truth, the truth that sets us free. May we leave this place today, Lord, rejoicing in that truth and resolving, Lord, to, to show kindness. Be your hands and your feet, Lord, the people that we come into contact with. Bless us, we pray, Lord. If there's anybody here today, Lord, that hasn't yet accepted Jesus as their Savior, please, Lord, don't let them leave this place this, this morning without realizing that truth for themselves and asking Jesus into their lives. In his precious name we pray.